You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. I am Dora Drendel, and I will be reading this morning's passage from Genesis 45, verses 1 through 15. Uh, please go there with me. If you can, that's on page 27 on the chairback Bibles in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that as a gift from us to you. So Genesis 45, 1 through 15. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother's Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for just being able to gather together in worship and hearing the preaching of your word. I pray that you be with Jeremy, um, that you give him clear words, Lord, that our hearts are open and ready to receive what you have with this morning's passage. Thank you so much for who you are. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you, Dora. Have any of you lost friends over the last couple years? Any of you lost friends over the last couple years? I wouldn't be surprised. 
seeing all we've had to navigate from COVID to the overflowing tensions after George Floyd, its murder. We've been through contentious presidential elections, political nuclear buttons seem to be getting pressed all the time, and that can create relational strife. Or maybe you've lost a friend, or you've struggled in a relationship with a family member for reasons that have nothing to do with national issues. I was just wondering if anybody here like me has lost a friend in the last couple years. It just feels like our world's gone bananas. One of my favorite singer-songwriters is Sarah Groves. If you haven't checked her out, then you should. She's got this song more recently released called Deal Breaker, and, and, and I just love the way she puts it. She, she sings, I've always thought with you and me, though it's not on paper, that there would never be a deal breaker. I mean, relational conflict is hard. Relational conflict is hard, and it's, it's almost everywhere you look, especially in churches. Somebody will say something wrong. It can be as innocent as this. Somebody will say something wrong in, in life group or after the service, maybe even in the foyer of all places. Somebody just says something wrong, it hurts someone's feelings, and that seed of pain and hurt gets buried deep inside, and very often, the way it seems to work, sadly too often, is nothing gets said, but that painful seed begins to grow roots of bitterness, and and days or months go by and, and the person who's been hurt, instead of saying something, ends up feeling all of this distance and, and all of this pain and then before too long, you gotta change life groups because it's just, it's too hard and, and, and I can't talk to this person about it or, or I'm not gonna go to the 845 service, I'm gonna go to the 1030 service. It works better for my family or you got to go to a new faith community because so much trust has been lost or motivations have been presumed. Judgment has been rendered. And there wasn't even a conversation. In different situations, I grant, feelings can get hurt. And then, and then a conversation really does happen, and that's of benefit. But if the issue isn't truly resolved and that bitter root isn't ever extracted, it can still cause infection. Now, by God's grace, in some situations, conflict is addressed, forgiveness is offered, and reconciliation is found, and, and, and there's healing. It's just... In churches, that feels very rare. Like if you've experienced that, I'm so encouraged for you. It's just rare that the very people who gather week after week, believing at the core of our faith, 
that God has reconciled us to himself by a redeemer, that we who hold that truth have such a hard time being reconciled to one another. I always thought with you and me, though it's not on paper, there'd never be a deal breaker. Man, for Christians, I wish there was never a deal breaker. This is hard. Forgiveness and reconciliation is hard. And in our text, we're going to see one of the most beautiful pictures of forgiveness and not just transactional forgiveness, not just, you know, I forgive you, but genuine reconciliation. And since that is what the text is about today, that is what the sermon is going to be about today. For anyone who has experienced a deal breaker in relationship, we're going to find three principles for reconciliation. Three principles followed by the goal. Three principles for reconciliation. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, Genesis 45, open the scriptures so I can show you from the text how we get these principles. Here's the first principle for biblical reconciliation. If you're taking notes, write this one down. A heart of compassion from verses 1 to 3. A first principle for biblical reconciliation is that you would have a heart of compassion. As we begin in our text, we see Joseph there. He is unable to control his emotions. But to appreciate his response, we got to understand this in view of the entire Joseph narrative. Understand, when Joseph was 17, his brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery. It was Judah, by the way sold him into slavery, and then went and told their dad a lie. I guess an animal killed him, dad. 22 years, Joseph has lived with that betrayal. But in a rags-to-riches story, Joseph is now number two in all of Egypt, helping this mighty country navigate a famine. When his brothers show up, and through a series of tests, he evaluates whether their character has changed, and it has. In fact, if you just scan up to the end of 44, it was Judah last week. Showed up, turned over a brand new leaf when Judah said, please don't keep Benjamin, let me be the substitute for him. This is evidently the final piece of evidence Joseph is waiting for, and so now today, in our text, we see Joseph's response he kicks everybody out of the room except the 11 brothers. And he begins weeping so loud they can hear him outside the walls. Sometimes there's some of you who can like cry pretty. <laughs> kind of dab your eyes, it's all nice. And, and then some of y'all ugly cry like me. It's just like. <sighs> I, I guess Joseph will tell me someday if I'm wrong, but that's my guess. Joseph, after crying, he looks at his brothers and he says, it's me. And then, look in the text, he says, is my dad still alive? See, remember this entire time, Jacob's been over 100 years old. There's no promise that Jacob is going to stay alive through all of this. And that's, I suppose, one of Joseph's fears. But this entire sequence, every time he sees those brothers again, he says, is your father still alive? Is your father still alive? But now he goes, hey, it's me, Joseph. Is my dad still alive? 
course, this isn't the first time we've seen Joseph cry. When he heard Reuben, early on, say, I told you guys not to, sell, not, to, not to get rid of Joseph. He cried when he heard that. He cried a second time, 43.30. And it is this crying from Joseph that helps us understand Joseph is not harboring resentment and bitterness toward his brothers. I'm just confident of that. He's not, he's not sitting here going, about to get a taste of your own medicine, bros. How you like them apples? Joseph is compassionate in his response. This is frankly unbelievable. The amount of betrayal that he would have compassion for them. Because you would not expect compassion if you did that to somebody. And that's, of course, how the brothers are expecting Joseph to reply. Look at it, the brothers' response. As soon as they realize, oh dear, this is Joseph. In the ESV, it says they were dismayed. They were dismayed. Get this, the word dismayed, it comes from a, the original language I've learned from a commentary, it comes from this idea of paralyzed with fear in the face of war. You are watching the orcs come over the hill and they're coming to kill you and you've got a sword and you think, I can't fight these guys, they're going to kill me. That fear for you Lord of the Rings fan is what the brothers are feeling now. And it's understandable. You do that to a guy, they're going to, he in a position of power will kill you. So they're expecting the worst. I guess he's going to kill us. But that's not Joseph's heart. That wasn't his heart when he first saw him. It's not his heart today. And you're going to fast forward, stay with us in a couple weeks after Jacob does pass away. It's not Joseph's heart in the future. Joseph's heart is compassionate. And that's the first principle of biblical reconciliation, a heart of compassion. For those here who can identify with Joseph this morning, you have been that person in one way or another who has felt significantly hurt by someone else. A heart attitude to adopt. The biblical principle I want you to consider adopting and saying, Spirit, would you help me to have this kind of a heart? It's a heart of compassion toward those who've hurt you. Instead of nurturing and fertilizing this root of bitterness, Joseph offers a heart of compassion, tenderness to those who betrayed him. And if we're going to find reconciliation ourselves, this is a response to adopt. Now then, this text fits well when we're the person who has been hurt. But I want to flip with you real quick and I want to put ourselves in the shoes of others because inevitably all of us have certainly been on the receiving end when somebody else has hurt us bad, but the other side's true too. All of us have done hurting in some ways. We've all been victims. We've all been agents. So think with me on the other side. If you're the person who's able to consider a situation in which you have done the hurting... How should we respond when we are the people who have hurt someone else? Like the brothers in our text, let us be the kind of people who are willing to look the pain we've caused directly in the eyes and let us own the consequences. That's what the brothers do. In fact, we saw last chapter, Judah willing to admit, I am guilty. 
If you're a person who has really hurt another, your response is to own your consequences. And a great little pathway for healing for you, a pathway to reconciliation would be to say these three phrases. I'm sorry. I know I really hurt you. Please forgive me. In some relationships, you have been hurt, so you need to have a heart of compassion. In some relationships, you've done the hurting. When that happens and you see the consequences, it can feel dismaying. Offer these three phrases to find healing. The first principle of reconciliation, a heart of compassion. Move with me to the second, a belief in God's sovereignty. Back to the text. We see Joseph's response to the dismay of his brothers. Look what he says. Come here. It's me. And then look what he says. This is, this is crucial. Don't be distressed or angry because God had a purpose in all of this. He explains to them, you guys got to know there's this famine and we have five more years of the famine. But God has sent me here to preserve a remnant. God, in his sovereignty, had me put into this position to help save not just Egypt, not just the world, but our family. So, so here then is the most complicated biblical doctrine for us to get in today's sermon. A concept we must believe if we're gonna find true reconciliation. It's, it's the concept of God's sovereignty. Deceptively simple to comprehend, terribly difficult to plug in practically. Here's what I mean. Joseph has obviously had some time and space to process this deep betrayal. And the conclusion he has, conclusion he has come to could be seen from a New Testament passage, Romans 8.28, where Paul writes, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Somehow, Joseph has been able to take this truth of God's sovereignty, that God is going to work all things together for good, even when it's painful, even when I suffer, even when I'm thrown in jail, God's going to work that for good. Joseph somehow has been able to believe that doctrine of God's sovereignty deep in his heart. And he didn't even have a Bible on his shelf to look this up. Somehow God has walked him through that so he can come to a place where he genuinely believed. And I think this is a miracle of the Spirit for any of us who can do this. That we can look pain in the eye and say, God has worked that for my good. And then he's able to look at his brothers and say, all these events... Man, they are part of God's sovereignty. And it's this belief in God's sovereignty that paves the way then for Joseph to be able to offer compassion, grace, and forgiveness because ultimately, Joseph is entrusting all of this to God. And, and I'm telling you, this idea, you can write it on a, on a page of notes, deceptively simple to understand, terribly difficult and painful at times to plug in. Because when you are the victim of somebody else's sin, when you get betrayed and you have to pay the consequence, you're paying the price for what somebody else did to you. When you're sitting in that place, we don't naturally run to 
Oh, God's sovereign. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've been hurt so bad, and God's sovereign. We don't run there. Well, at least I don't run there. I suppose you probably do, and you ought to be probably preaching this message. But for me, when I get hurt by somebody else, where I run to is punish them. I think, oh, that's how you're going to do me? Fine. I mean, if that's how we're going to play the game, then let's play the game. Here it comes. I, I, want, I want them to pay the price that I'm having to pay. I want them to hurt like I have hurt. That's where my heart wants to go. But what we see here is not punishment, not justice, but Joseph saying, I'm going to entrust this to God's sovereignty. See, see Christian, if you've been hurt by somebody else and they're repentant, your response is not to rage against them. Ephesians 4.32, we are to forgive others as God in heaven has forgiven us. And what we see in this section is for Joseph, God's sovereignty is crucial to reconciliation. It is the place that Joseph goes when he's trying to help the brothers understand why he's not going to kill them. I mean, it doesn't say it exactly like this, but if the brothers are like, look, man, you, probably, you should probably kill us because of what we did to you. That's how awful we were. Joseph's answer, so to speak, is, I'm not going to kill you because I believe in God's sovereignty, and he's going to use this for good so I can forgive you. For those of us here who've been hurt, if you don't understand God's sovereignty, if you haven't considered how the doctrine of God's sovereignty actually connects to your healing, you can get very stuck. You can get stuck because, on the one hand, you may think, oh my goodness, I've been hurt so bad, is it... Is it that God's not powerful enough to protect me from this pain? Is that why I'm hurt so bad? But God's sovereignty tells you, no, he's powerful. But then maybe you get stuck on, well, maybe he's not loving, because why would a loving God put me through that? But, but God's sovereign, so he's loving as well. Which means if we really believe in God's sovereignty, even though we may be deeply hurt, we can look at it and go, God, I don't know why but I know, I know you're powerful, I know you're loving, I know you're wise, so you must have a bigger purpose than I can see. And, and God, it'd be real great if you would just like download the PDF so I could like read what your plan is, like I'd really appreciate that. He doesn't do that very often. But he does call us to say, I will trust you even though it hurts that you're gonna do something. Let's just shoot straight church, man. That's hard. And there's lots of days I don't do that. There's probably lots of days you don't do it either. But that's the picture we get. I'm going to waking up this morning. I'm going to do my best to again trust and trust this pain to you. Now, of course, God's sovereignty does not erase human responsibility. What we have to understand is just because God is sovereign doesn't mean the boys are now innocent of what they did. No, they did that, and there are consequences, but a pathway for reconciliation. If you're stuck and you find yourself going, man, I just, I cannot come to peace in this relationship, perhaps the place you're stuck is God's sovereignty. For those feeling stuck in reconciliation, perhaps this afternoon, get by yourself and get on your knees and say, God, best I know how, 
I want to believe in your sovereignty in this deeply painful situation. And would you help me find peace? And tell him, I believe you, you really, you really are good. I believe you, God, you really are loving. I believe you really are wise and help me find peace that passes, surpasses all understanding that I might trust, even though I don't see it today, you're going to use all of this pain for my good, their good, everybody's good. That's how we plug in a belief in God's sovereignty. Flip with me again, though, for those in, in those relationships in which you have been the agent of pain, you've been the one who has hurt someone, if you're in this position, you can be encouraged, even though you've made these mistakes. God, in his sovereignty, is going to turn it around for good. And yet, you must accept responsibility. And at the risk of sounding cheesy, here are three phrases that when you've done the hurting can begin to bring healing. If you haven't written them down, please do. When you've done the hurting, say to the person, I'm sorry, I know I've hurt you, please forgive me. The second point here, the second principle for biblical reconciliation, believing God's sovereignty, let's consider a third Third principle for biblical reconciliation, a desire for other reconciled relationships. Having explained to his brother God's sovereignty over the circumstances, Jesus, uh, Joseph now turns to his plan to help the family survive the famine. Look in the text. He tells the brothers, hey, hurry home. Go tell dad. Go tell dad to Hurry and come back, because I'm going to set you up in this wonderful little place. It's a suburb of Egypt called Goshen. Would you say Goshen? One, two, three. Goshen. And there in Goshen, Joseph is going to provide enough for his family that they will not fall into poverty. Verse 11. Verse 12, Joseph says, hey, Benjamin, look at me, bro. It's really me. Of course, Benjamin is his full brother. Same biological mom, same biological dad. The others are half. He says, Benjamin, it's really me which I take to be Joseph's way of saying, look, when you get back home, these 10 brothers are probably going to look at dad and be like, dad, Joseph's alive. And Jacob's going to be like, you guys are a bunch of scoundrels. I don't believe you. <laughs> but Benjamin, you've seen me. And dad will believe you. It's me. Tell him I'm alive. Verse 13. I love this. Reminds me of kids. Maybe you said this to your dad. Hey, dad, look at me. Or the way our kids say to us, look at me. Hey, hey, fellas, make sure you tell dad. I'm a big deal down here in Egypt. Tell him about my honor. And then for the second time, he says, and would you tell dad to hurry? I'm imagining Joseph has a lot of meetings he has to be a part of. He can't just leave to go get his dad. So he says, tell dad, hurry, I'm waiting. This is all exciting. From Joseph's point of view, man, this is what he's been waiting for. Stopwatch is started. Get dad back here. And certainly as the boys take all their stuff and they begin to go back to the promised land, in one way it's very exciting because they know we're in the middle of a famine and we could have died. But we're going to be okay 
because Joseph's in charge and he's going to protect us. He's going to bring us to Goshen. So that's really exciting news as they travel to tell Jacob. But there's not so much exciting news to tell Jacob too in there. I mean, not for Benjamin. Benjamin just, I got the silver. I got five changes of clothes. I'm good. But for the, for the 10, because remember, this 22 years ago, the 10 lied to their dad. For 22 years, they've not said anything. But in God's sovereignty, 22 years of hidden sin is coming out. And what, what we find implied in this text is Joseph saying, you need to go home and you need to make it right with dad. You got to go home and tell him the truth. Can you imagine such a confession? I mean, I just, I hate having to confess my sin any day of the week. How much more? <laughs> it's 22 years old. And what I want you to note then is how important it was for the brothers not only to be reconciled to Joseph, that's crucial, but Joseph's heart is, I also want you to find reconciliation with dad as well. See, there was another relationship that needed to be reconciled. And for us today, what I want you to understand is, if you've been the person who's been hurt so deeply, one of the ways that you know you're on the right pathway to reconciliation is if your heart is soft toward the person who's hurt you, soft enough that you hope genuinely before the Lord, they find reconciled relationships with others. And that's a picture in the Joseph's heart for his brothers. I want you and dad to, I want you and dad to make up. To be fair, there, there may be some situations in which you would say, good news, pastor, I really do want that for this person who's hurt me so bad. And that may not be because right, we can't control what other people do. But we want to have a heart to see relationships restored. Flip with me, though, once again, for those relationships in which you've been like the brothers, you've done the hurting. Something to consider here is this. You perhaps have deeply hurt somebody, and you've sought true forgiveness. You, you said to them, and I'm sorry, I know I hurt you, will you forgive me? It might be that even though that relationship is beginning to find healing, there may be somebody else that was impacted by the ripple of that decision. And don't be surprised that you may have to reconcile with other relationships as a result. I, I just want you to see that there's times when our painful relational mistakes create extra damage. Be prepared to say sorry for that too. The third principle, though, for biblical reconciliation, a desire for others to experience forgiveness. Final point, though, here's the goal. Here's what all of these principles are pointing to. Write this down. A genuine reconciliation of relationship. A genuine reconciliation of relationship. Verse 14, Joseph starts crying. He's on Benjamin's shoulder. I imagine when he's done, Benjamin's like, thanks for snotting my shoulder up, brother, but whatever. Then verse 15, Benjamin hugged each brother who betrayed him. <sighs> Hugging them. And then look at the very end. Look at the very end of 15, yeah? After that, his brothers talked with him. 
Oh, come on, let's do that again. Would you read it with me? Uh, one, two, three. After that, his brothers talked with him. Oh, his brothers talked with him. Uh, Pastor, that is so anticlimactic. <laughs> Why is this a big deal? I'm so excited about this. Somebody showed this to me. Let me show it to you. Would you just go to 37.4 real quick? Just flip a couple pages. Look at Genesis 37.4. This is beautiful. I'm telling you, God wrote this Bible. We're not smart enough to do this. God showed Moses what to put in here. Look at 37.4. In fact, I, I'm going to read slow. If you've got 37.4 in front of you, ESV version, would you just read out loud with me? 37.4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. See, way back when we first met Joseph, those brothers hated him so much they couldn't talk. And some of you have, might have been in this situation where you are so mad. When you get in a room with somebody that's hurt you so bad, you hate them. You don't want to talk to them. There's so much hurt. There's so much pain. There's so much anger. But now, 45, 15, they can talk. Here's what I think we see. It's a picture of genuine reconciliation, the goal. And I know it could sound awkward or difficult to get to this place, but we want to find ourselves when we've been hurt by somebody that we can be in a relationship and it is reconciled enough that you can sit in a room and you can have a conversation. And, and, and here's why I think it's important to drill into this. I think it's far too common, especially in churches, especially with Christians, when relational conflicts occur, we'll just not talk anymore. Or maybe in the rare example, we will sit down, we'll say those three little phrases, transactional forgiveness seems to be done, but then, frankly, you don't want to get in the same room with that person, no thanks. And, and, and look, I grant that there is a time for space. Lord knows my wife needs some space for me when we're in one of these moments. But if you can't ever get to a place where you're having a conversation, I wonder if real reconciliation has happened. Because there's a big difference between giving somebody some space versus ignoring them or detaching from them or separating yourself from that person indefinitely. Because, I mean, imagine Joseph. I mean, what would, the, what would this be saying to us if in, if in the text Joseph actually said, okay, brothers, I forgive you, but I'm not talking to you. Now I want you to tell some things to dad, and when you get back to Goshen, I'll give you some food, but don't try to talk to me. Okay, Benjamin, I'll talk to you. The rest of you guys, not a word. That's not forgiveness. Here, let me, let me try to put it like this. If, if you've been hurt and a person... If you're in Joseph's shoes, you've been hurt by somebody, and a person has, best they can, apologized. But then you see that person at the grocery store, and, and, and you, you do that thing where you're kind of pushing your cart, and then you're like, nope, not going down that aisle. 
and then you guys like, run to the bathroom or you go run to your car and drive away, you're going to go shopping somewhere else because I cannot handle to see that person. Has genuine reconciliation really occurred? And I'm not saying it won't be awkward. And I'm not pretending like the relationship will ever go back to what it used to be before the pain. But I think there's a picture here revealing that biblical reconciliation is very close. If you can get into a room and you can have a conversation. For those who've been hurt, you need some space. Move slowly, but understand, eventually, I think you've got to be able to talk. Again, for those who have done the hurting, in your mind, if you've been the person who's done the hurting, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I would love to be able to get in the room and just have a conversation with this person I hurt so bad. But understand, that's going to take some time, and it may feel quite awkward. My encouragement to you is pray for it, genuinely say you're sorry, genuinely walk through those three steps, And then best picture I can get is be like a sophisticated ballroom dancer who is not leading but is following. If you're the person who wants to get to a place where you can have rec reconciliation and a conversation, but you did the hurting, follow the other person's lead. When they're ready, be ready. But don't push them too soon. They may need some time. A crucial caveat for those who have been victims of abuse or those of you who've been victims of harm or threats Genuine reconciliation does not necessarily mean you have to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that person ever. If you're, if you're wrestling with what biblical reconciliation looks like in those situations, I'd recommend chatting with one of our biblical counselors. For anyone in here who is currently in an abusive relationship, Healing and reconciliation are necessary. But that's not the step for you if you're in the middle of it. Forgiveness, healing, reconciliation, they will come. But if you're in the middle of it, what you need right now is you need protection. You need intervention. That sin needs to be confronted first. And, and, and if you're in that situation, we love you. We're praying for you. Would you please ask for help? Well, we've come to the end of our text today, nearly to the end of our sermon. But I can't help but think if there may be some of you who might be thinking to yourself, hey, pastor, thanks a lot, Genesis 45. That is a beautiful picture of reconciliation. But look, man, let me just be honest with you, pastor. I am so hurt. I am so damaged. I'm so upset with that person. Frankly, I don't want to really reconcile. So what do you want to do about that? Your principles are fine. The Bible's fine. I don't want to do it. What say you, pastor? Here's the best part of the sermon. For it's where you find power for reconciled relationships. See, if you're feeling this way, I don't actually want to reconcile. What you need to understand is, that, that biblical reconciliation is not an exercise in self-will. 
It's not like you're at the gym and you're like, I'm going to pick up this little weight that's just reconciliation. I'm going to pump it all by myself. And I, I didn't really want to, but now here I am. Look at my biceps. That's not how it works. God does not call you to reconciliation on your own power. The scriptures tell us the power to reconcile comes from the cross. We find the motivation to offer reconciliation when we look at what Christ did for us. See, if you look at the cross, you find Jesus responding perfectly to the pain of broken relationships. Joseph has compassion on his brothers, but consider Christ full of compassion on the cross. He is going to suffocate and die, and he takes his breath to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He did that for you. He wanted to reconcile you. Or consider Joseph trusted God's sovereignty, but how much did Christ, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew God's sovereign plan was that he had come to die. That was Christ's mission. And he's sitting there in the garden wrestling with God's sovereignty, and he says, not my will be done, but yours. And you find the power to reconcile by looking at the cross at the cross, Christ wanted all of us to find forgiveness. Forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father. Forgiveness and reconciliation with one another. And, and it's through the cross that we find motivation to actually want to find reconciliation. If you're here and you think to yourself, I don't want it, pastor. Here's what you do. You look at what Christ did for you on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.18. God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You got to get that because it's crucial. None of us can stand up and say, I've been the one who's been betrayed and I'm not going to offer reconciliation to anyone else. No, no, no. You yourself betrayed Christ, but he reconciled you to the Father, and because you've been reconciled, you can extend that forgiveness to others. It's not easy. It's not simple. It was painful for Joseph, and it cost Jesus his life. Let us expect this will be painful and difficult too. But we must reconcile with others because Christ has reconciled with us. And that's our sermon in a sentence. Reconcile with others, church, because Christ has reconciled with us. If you're here not a Christian, you can find reconciliation today. Call out to Christ. If you are a Christian and you've been hurt, pursue peace. Look for healing. New beginnings. Look for second chances. Some relationships are a deal breaker today, but they don't have to be a deal breaker forever. Just imagine what it would be like if the same reconciliation the Father gave you, you could extend to others. Can you imagine a day where the relationship is soft and reconciled, and instead of being in your bunkers, firing at each other, 
you're walking together through no man's land, shaking hands, patting backs. May God give us new beginnings as far as the eye can see. Please pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray true reconciliation would occur. For those who don't know you, save. Do this work, Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.